throughout this series, we've discovered this incredible and radical love of Jesus that is woven through every page of the Bible's history. Today, we're going to take our, our last look at the book of Ezekiel. Um, unfortunately, this is going to be our last, <laughs> our last in the series. I hate to leave you guys in Ezekiel, but, um, but Ezekiel is a great place to leave off. I know Rhonda's laughing because we've talked about this quite a few times um, about leaving off in Ezekiel. But Ezekiel is a great place to leave off, I think. Um, e- Ezekiel is, is a prophet to the exiles in Babylon. And so he was taken among the first wave of exiles around 605 BC by the Babylonians. And, uh, and he prophesies mostly to those people, to those people who are stuck in a place where they don't know what the future is. They're stuck in uncertainty. But uh, Ezekiel comes in to speak words of encouragement and lets them know that, uh, that God is with them. Jeremiah does the same. Jeremiah prophesies around the same time as Ezekiel in a different area of the land, uh, promising them prosperity, promising that, that God would restore them. And, and Ezekiel is, is here doing the same as well at, around the end of Ezekiel. Uh, he talks a lot about the restoration that Israel were, was going to experience. But uh, today I wanted to take a look at, at something interesting in Ezekiel chapter 34, uh, something that will hopefully inspire you, but also hopefully challenge you to, to think of, of how you live life just a little bit differently. And, and so I want to take a look at, uh, at Ezekiel 34, our last look uh, in our series, a last look at Ezekiel, Ezekiel 34, starting in verse one. Verse one says this, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled over them, the flock harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. Verse six says, my sheep wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched for or looked for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, because my flock lacks a shepherd and so has been plundered and has become food for all the wild animals. And because my shepherds did not search for my flock, but cared for themselves rather than for my flock. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds and I will hold them accountable for my flock. I'll remove them from tending the flocks so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths, and it will no longer be food for them. Not just the mouths of the wild beasts, but the mouths of the shepherds themselves. So you see, there's, there's a significant shift that takes place here in Ezekiel 33. We didn't read that, but verse 34, uh, if you read the previous chapter, especially the last half of the previous chapter, uh, you'll, you'll notice that something drastic happens for the people that are in exile. Most of Ezekiel, everything from the first half of Ezekiel 33 
previous, all the way from to chapter 1 to chapter 33, has been written under a, a specific context for the exiles in Judah. Uh, the exiles have been taken, but they still hold to the belief that Jerusalem will hold out, that the stronghold of God, the temple, the city of God will withstand the Babylonians, and that they'll eventually be returned home, and that everything will be okay. All these other false prophets, we've been talking about them before, have prophesied to these people, no, peace, peace, everything will be fine, don't worry, we're going to return to Jerusalem. But in chapter 33, the last half of the chapter, This man escapes all the people there. He brings them the news that the city of Jerusalem has fallen. All their hopes are dashed. Every false prophecy that had been proclaimed, peace, peace, don't worry about it, we're going to return soon, is completely by the wayside. And now in chapter 34, with hindsight as his guide, Ezekiel begins to see something different. Because Ezekiel had been preaching for a long time about the idolatry that the people were falling into it, and this being the reason for the destruction, this being the reason that they were in that situation that they were in. But now that he's now that he's seen Jerusalem destroyed, now that he knows that God's word has come true, because God had been telling Ezekiel, "Listen, prophesy to the people: Jerusalem will be destroyed." The people refuse to believe, but now they're here; they see it. It's happened. Ezekiel looks back and he realizes something. He realized that it wasn't just idolatry that caused Jerusalem and Judah's destruction. That it wasn't an unfair God who allowed destruction to come because the people worshipped the wrong thing. That wasn't the only reason. A big part of the reason that all of this happened, that Jerusalem was destroyed, that Babylon came and conquered most of Judah, is because the people were relying on corrupt leadership. That was the problem. They're relying on corrupt shepherds. And Ezekiel says here, this is the the word that Ezekiel receives, the sheep of Israel are scattered because of these corrupt shepherds. And they're scattered to the wilds and they're left as food for the wild beasts. And because of this corrupt human leadership, God's people, God's flock is left to the mercy of foreign nations who come and devour and destroy and conquer. And you see what's interesting that we find in this is that this acknowledgement that what is happening is a result of human failure, as a result of human leadership, we acknowledge then and we see that God not only is this divine protector, that God stands afar and can intervene miraculously, but we also learn and come to understand that God works through the people. God works through the leadership of Israel. And you see, if you read the rest of the story previous to that, you'll know that God had given Israel instructions about how his leadership should act, about how his leadership should conduct themselves. God had given them instructions of how to follow through with the will of God, of how to be the kind of leaders that God was calling them to be, but they broke covenant with God. The idolatry led them into corrupt leadership. Their idolatry led them into the wrong path. And so now, because of this corrupt leadership, they've pursued selfish gain. They've oppressed the people they were called to serve, and they corrupted their God-given authority. And so God says this in Ezekiel 34. He says, there's going to be accountability for the shepherds. He says, I am against the shepherds. I'm going to remove these shepherds so that they can no longer oppress and hurt my people. And so here's our very first lesson for today. Our first lesson is there is accountability for shepherds. You see, God is frustrated with the shepherds who are taking care of themselves and neglecting to take care of the flock. 
God has placed these people into positions of leadership and authority, and they have failed to do what is right. And if you read it here carefully, you'll know there's a couple of things the shepherds do. The shepherds have neglected the flock. They have taken care of themselves at the expense and neglect of others. They have failed to strengthen the weak. They have failed to heal the injured. They have ruled over people harshly. They have not gone out to seek the sheep who have been lost. Those are the sins of these shepherds. And really to be guilty of any one of these is to be guilty of of perverting the sacred call that God had placed into the lives of these shepherds. You see, God never gives positions of power or authority to be used for evil. Every blessing that God gives is to be used to bless others. That goes back to the very beginning of the covenant that God made with Abraham in Genesis 12. He says, listen, I'm blessing you so you can be a a blessing to to the nations around you. That's the whole point of being blessed. The point of being blessed isn't so that you can take it all in and enjoy your blessing and just live your relaxed life. The point of being blessed is so that you might bless others. That's the purpose. You see, it's not just power or authority. It's not just official titles of leadership uh, that, that God gives us. If God might reveal something to us, God might be giving us wisdom, might be giving us faith, might be giving us maturity. And if we fail to use those things as well, again, it's not just monetary value. It's not just power and leadership. It's all of those things, faith, wisdom, trust, spiritual maturity, whatever gift that God has blessed you with is meant to be used to bless others. But if we fail to use it to bless others, it is just as much a failure in leadership as it is to do wrong. Are you hearing that? To fail to do good is just as wrong as doing evil in the eyes of God. It's not enough to not do evil. God is asking us not to fail to do good. It's not enough that, because if the shepherds hadn't injured the sheep, God wouldn't be like, oh, you guys are good. You haven't done it. God also says, you failed to bind the wounds of the sheep. You have failed to search for the lost. You have failed to take care of their needs. It's not just enough to not do evil. We have to also do good. The capacity and ability to do good and live love always comes with the responsibility to actually carry it out. You see, if if a shepherd is in a position of leadership and authority, God will remove them from those positions when they fail to do good. God blesses us so that we might bless others. God is not going to bless an individual or a group who refuses to work for the good. Selfless loving God is not just to empower us for good, but also to ensure that what he blesses isn't going to be used for evil. God is not going to bless us in self-destructive paths. God is not going to bless us at the expense of others or to the detriment of others. But this accountability to live selflessly and lovingly and to, care, to take care for others is not just for people who have power or authority in the traditional sense. You can be a shepherd to your children. You can be a shepherd to your students. You can be a shepherd to your siblings. You can be a shepherd to your spouse. You can be a shepherd to your neighbor. You can be a shepherd to the cashier. The, any role of influence carries the responsibility to love like Jesus would. Did you hear that? Any role of influence, any role of influence, no matter how big or small, carries the responsibility to love like Jesus would. There's accountability 
for shepherds. We're going to jump down to verse 17. We'll come back to verses 11 to 16, but we're going to jump down to verse 17 for now. Verse 17 says this, As for you, my flock, this is what the sovereign Lord says, I will judge between one sheep and another, and between rams and goats. Is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture? Must you also trample the rest of your pasture with your feet? Is it not enough for you to drink clear water? Must you also muddy the rest of the water with your feet? Must my flock feed on what you have trampled and drink what you have muddied with your feet? Verse 20. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says to them. See, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep. Because you shove with flank and shoulder, butting all of the weak sheep with your horns until you have driven them away, I will save my flock and they will no longer be plundered. I will judge between one sheep and another. Now, here's the thing. Before we go absolving ourselves of, uh, of any guilt or responsibility because we don't see ourselves as shepherds or leaders, God then turns and speaks to the sheep. He doesn't just spend time talking to the shepherds, the leaders, the people in traditional powers and authority. He also spends time talking to the sheep. And he says this. He says, not only will the, lead, the shepherds be held accountable, but he's also going to hold the sheep accountable. Here's a second lesson. There's accountability for sheep. God says that there are sheep among his flock who eat and drink and prevent others from eating and drinking. They trample the grass, they muddy the waters, those same fattened sheep, they butt out the weak and they drive the sheep out. So the problem with the sheep is that they were acting in ways that exhibited selfishness. We talked about how selfishness is the root core of sin, to focus on self at the expense of others. They prevented other sheep from receiving what God had for them. Now, either A, because they didn't want to share, or, and this was important, because they were too inconvenienced to act in mercy, or because they didn't care for the image of God and others enough to love them selflessly. This isn't in my notes, but I want, I want to talk about this for a second. I've been listening to a lecture series on the great mythologies of, of the world. And I was listening to one specifically about the, the mythology, the creation story of Babylon. And, and interestingly enough, this isn't a, a religious lecture. It's, 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 a, it's a regular lecture from a university. And, and the university professor directly then contrasts the difference between the Babylonian myth and the Genesis myth that we find in the Bible. Because if you're not familiar with the Genesis myth, is actually a direct rebuttal against the Babylonian myth. And one very distinct contrast that she made was that in the Babylonian myth, humanity is just an afterthought. The gods desire worship and they say, well, listen, we want to be worshipped, so we need something to, be, to worship us. And so they go to Marduk, the main head god, and they say, Marduk, you need to create something so that we can receive worship. We're tired of just giving to you and worshiping. We want something for ourselves. And so Marduk says, all right, okay, I'm going to go, go ahead and create Humanity, and then they create humanity all at once, and their only purpose is then to, to live sacrificially to service the gods, specifically that way. And then she contrasts in Genesis, when God creates humanity, there is intention. God comes down into the mud, into the dirt, and he breathes intimately into their mouths, and he creates them not with the purpose of worshiping him, but he creates them with the purpose of ruling over creation alongside with him. They are partners in him. And unlike in the Babylonian myth that they're just an afterthought, God actually says, let us make humankind in our image. That means that every single human being around you carries the divine image of God. 
And when you recognize that every single person has the divine image of God in them, how can you treat them without mercy? How can you treat them without compassion? How can you not care for who they are? They carry the divine image of God. Here's the thing. The sheep didn't care about that. They cared about themselves. And then God asks this question. He says, was it not enough that you were blessed? Was it not enough that you received? Was it not enough that you were given to, that you then had to prevent others from receiving their own blessing? And you see the sheep here, they share a similar level of accountability as the shepherds. What God blesses us with is meant to be used to bless others, but God's blessings aren't just a monetary thing. The unique way that you see the world and relate to God is a blessing. Your relationship with God is a blessing. And you, whether you believe it or not, you are a blessing. Your very life is a blessing. God created you with intention and purpose and with love. And we might know how babies are born traditionally, but that doesn't mean that God still isn't intimately breathing life into us. It doesn't mean that God isn't instilling his divine image in you. You bear the image of God. You are a blessing. But here's the important thing. Blessings are meant to be for others. God's blessings aren't just monetary, so you don't need to be rich or have things figured out to bless the people around you. You just need to be willing to relate to them, to connect with them, to journey with them, to care for who they are, to listen to their stories, to be a friend. That's all it takes. See, the way that God is working in your life, the relationship that you are building with God is a blessing that he wants you to share with others. We are not meant to gorge ourselves and fatten ourselves up with spirituality. Our spirituality is meant to be exercised, to be worked out for the benefit of others. If we just come to church and do nothing else, minister to no one, disciple no one, care for no one, connect with no one, bless no one, then we are these fattened sheep that God is talking about. Listen to that. God, remember this. God does not only believe that it is wrong to do evil, he also believes that it is wrong to fail to do good. It is not just enough to not do evil, we have to do good. This means that church attendance isn't enough. God wants us to understand that there is a spiritual and a social responsibility to being part of God's flock. That we are blessed so that we can bless others. That we are blessed so that we can have mercy. We have, we have been given compassion so that we can be compassionate. We are already forgiven so that we might forgive. We have already been loved so that we might love others. You see, when worship becomes about me and doesn't move me into acting for mercy and compassion and love for others, then I've just become a consumer of worship. To consume worship, to gorge ourselves on songs or sermons without blessing others is the same thing that Ezekiel says here. It is to eat the grass and trample it before anyone else gets any. It is to drink of the living water. I hope we realize how serious this call is. I hope we realize how serious it is to be part of God's flock. God is so merciful. He's so patient but the responsibility that is placed on followers of Jesus, on us, is serious. It really is a matter of eternal life and death. 
And I don't want you to consider this responsibility a burden because so many times we, we want to turn it into this burden, but really we need to focus and see it as a privilege and a joy to be God's love to other people. I know that you guys would agree that it is an awesome feeling to introduce something you love to someone you love, right? Whether it's your favorite show, whether it's your favorite restaurant, whether you've discovered something new, I know that at some point you're excited to show someone what you've discovered. And, and for those of you who are married, for those of you who are single, those of you who have ever had a relationship, you know what it's like when you find someone that you love, that you really appreciate, whether it's a platonic relationship, whether it's a romantic relationship, whatever it is, and you just want to show your friends this person because you've built this beautiful relationship with this person. Man, this person is so, they're so funny. They just get me. They understand me. I want my parents to meet them. I want my friends to meet them. I want our friends to get along because I have this beautiful relationship with my friends here and this beautiful relationship with a friend here. And I want our circles to mix because I want them to experience the joy that I have experienced in this relationship, in this food, in this show, in this movie, in this game, this activity, whatever it is. You guys all know what it's like to be like that, what it's like to have that. And so the thing that we find is that Jesus is so much more important than anything or anyone. The privilege of blessing others with the gospel of Jesus should be a joy that flows out of our own personal encounter with this loving and merciful Savior. And this isn't just for people who've been at it a long time. There is no minimum age requirement no amount of needed experience or wisdom or knowledge to be a disciple of Jesus. The call of discipleship, of reaching others with the gospel is for any individual who has experienced the joy of what is Jesus, of who is Jesus. And what's so amazing about taking the step of faith, putting yourself out there for God, is that no matter how spiritually unprepared or underqualified you feel, God equips you. God empowers you. God strengthens you to be exactly what someone else needs. You're not trying to be like someone else. You're not trying to be like the best preachers. You're not trying to be like the most intelligent scholars. God is just asking you to be you. And of Jesus is having had an encounter with Jesus. It's time we stop being consumers of worship, trampling the grass, muddying the waters, and start being the blessing that God has called us to be. There is accountability for sheep. We're going to jump back to verse 11. Verse 11 says this, For this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out of the nations and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines, and in all the settlements of the land. I will tend them in a good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land, and there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. Verse 15, I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. We're going to skip down to verse 23 now. Verse 23 says this, I will place over them one shepherd, my servant 
David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. I will make a covenant of peace with them and rid the land of savage beasts so that they may live in the wilderness and sleep in forests in safety. Verse 28, jump down again. They will no longer be plundered by nations, nor will the wild animals that devour them. They will live in safety and no one will make them afraid. I will provide for them a land renowned for its crops and they will no longer be victims of famine in the land or bear the scorn of the nations. Then they will know that I, the Lord, their God, am with them and that they, the Israelites, are my people, declares the sovereign Lord. Verse 31, you are my sheep, the sheep of my pasture, and I am your God declares the sovereign Lord. So God promises Ezekiel that he would replace these evil shepherds with a new perfect shepherd. Verses 11 to 16, God says that he would be Israel's perfect shepherd. Then verses 23 and 24, God says that he would replace Israel's corrupt shepherds with King David as a shepherd. Now, obviously, King David is, is long dead at this point in history, so God is not referring to the literal King David resurrected, but rather a, meta, a metaphoric King David, a shepherd from the line of David who would rule not two different shepherds, but two characteristics describing one singular perfect shepherd. One, the shepherd would be God himself. Two, the shepherd would be King David, more literally from the line of David. And there's only one person who meets both those characteristics. The shepherd is Jesus. He's both son of God and son of David. And so here's our final lesson for today. Jesus, the only way that leadership on earth could ever live up to the values of God's kingdom is if it were led by the very son of God himself, the incarnated human form. And that's what God really alludes to here in Ezekiel chapter 34. But this is important. Just because God is establishing his own shepherd does not absolve us of the responsibility and accountable, accountability, whether we're shepherds or whether we're sheep. Jesus comes to be the perfect shepherd, but God still chooses to work through you and I to be his servants, to be his representatives, to be ambassadors of that perfect leadership. You see, God loves us so much that he wants us to be involved in the good work that he is doing here on earth, even if that means that sometimes we don't get it right. He wants us to be involved, even if that means that sometimes we royally mess it up. He wants us to be involved. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. He says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. See, Jesus as perfect shepherd does not mean that we let go of everything and leave God to do all the work. God wants us to be involved. And the life of Jesus is meant to be an example to be followed. And the spirit of God living in us enables us to live selflessly. It enables us to live like Jesus did as we draw closer and closer to him. And then Peter says this, one of my favorite verses, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says this, but you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you might declare the praises of him, the one who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You are a special possession, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, so that you may declare the praises of the one who has saved you. God says we are chosen to be a royal priesthood. Every single believer has this calling placed over their lives. 
And there's five things that priests did in the Old Testament. If you want to write it down, I'll, I'll go slow for you. Five things. One, priests represented God to the people. That was their number one duty, representing God to the people. They were examples of God's love. Two, priests taught God's law. They taught what it meant to follow God. Three, priests interpreted the law. Not only did they teach it, they interpreted the law, which means that they taught how to apply it, how to actually practically live the way of God. Four, they were judges. They were meant to uphold justice and God's right way in the communities. Now, being a judge does not mean declaring people innocent and guilty, but rather upholding the justice that God had asked us to uphold. Five, they invoked God's blessing. This one's important. They invoked God's blessings on the people. God entrusted his priests to bless the people of Israel. So we are a priesthood to represent God, to teach God's law of love, to live God's law of love, to uphold justice, to bless the people on earth with God's blessing. I invite the band to come on up as we wrap up here. You know, we're called to work alongside this perfect shepherd, working to do his will on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus is this perfect shepherd, but he's working through us currently, now, here to set things right. There is accountability for shepherds. Position, authority, power, they're not tools for self-empowerment, rather they're blessings to ourselves at the expense of others. We have failed to be good shepherds. When we fail to act in mercy and compassion, we have failed to be good shepherds. It is not enough to not do wrong. We must also not fail to do good. We must do good. Whether it's through active oppression or passive complacency, God is not pleased when we allow others to suffer. God's not going to bless the hand of oppressors. God will not bless the hands of the indifferent. Every good gift that God gives as a blessing is meant to be a blessing to others. And whether we see ourselves as shepherds or not, God is asking us to exhibit his standard of love to everyone around us. It's not just shepherds and leaders who are held to accountability. There's also accountability for the sheep. It's not just those in positions of leadership and authority who are held accountable. It's also those who are called to follow. God was frustrated here in this chapter with the sheep who only consumed blessing and prevented others from receiving theirs, whether it's material or relational or spiritual. There is no room for selfishness and greed in God's flock. And when it comes to worship, we cannot just become consumers of worship. Worship cannot be self-serving. That's idolatry. And so God, here he says that he's going to hold these consumer sheep accountable. You see, we have found the source of living water. We have found hope. We have found redemption, forgiveness, and freedom in Jesus. And we are to lead others to that same source of living water. Ezekiel here in 34 ultimately realizes that human leadership fails. That's the nature of sin. But God promises something better. God promises a perfect shepherd and Jesus is that perfect shepherd. 
You know, there's nothing that we can do on our own to change the power of sin in our lives. The Holy Spirit living in us that gives us the ability to live that selfless love of Jesus. But the fact that human leadership is destined to fail does not mean that we are absolved of our responsibilities. Jesus still works through humanity. Jesus still works through broken people like you and I. And he is calling us through the Spirit to be a royal priesthood to be ambassadors of God's kingdom here on earth. You see, the sinful state of the world will never be resolved until Jesus comes again to make all things new. But in the meantime, in the meantime, the perfect shepherd has charged us with doing his will here on earth. And whether we do that in positions of authority as shepherds in our own right, or whether we just see ourselves as sheep called to follow, the accountability remains the same. Those of us who have experienced the goodness of God are called to lead others to that goodness. We've discovered the source of all joy that is Jesus. We can lead people to the good shepherd. That's our calling. We're called to lead people to the perfect shepherd, this shepherd who promises to take care of the flock and restore what sin has broken. And this is the beautiful thing. You don't need to be experienced You don't need to have X amount of wisdom, X amount of years doing this. You don't even need to to feel like you're all that, like you're all together with God. doesn't matter. God is calling you and he says, if you have experienced the goodness of God, if you have even just grabbed the glimpse of Jesus, God says, lead others to that living water. Lead others to that goodness that is found only in Jesus.